My name is Arafat and I'm in the UK. My name is Mohammed and I'm in the United States. Welcome to Slow Pit Stop. This is a podcast for new fans and old of Formula One by people who are just ordinary fans just like you. We don't know all the answers, but we love the sport very, very much, and we'd love to get you involved in the discussion. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Slow Pit Stop, and we'll keep you updated on our next pod and might throw in some memes too. Just to let people know what we're going to be talking about today, firstly, the Belgian Grand Prix, or Belgian qualifying, really. Um, there wasn't a Grand Prix, in my opinion. Uh, then, of course, Kimi Raikkonen, the Iceman retires. We'll be talking about the implications of this on the driver market next year. And finally, we're going to touch on the new Schumacher documentary on Netflix. So, Mohammed, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very disappointed that there wasn't a race last week because I was kind of like looking forward to it. And it was building up and it was all over summer break and then nothing. So... More excited now for Zandvoort. We'll see how that goes. I know what you mean. I think, I think it was more painful because we had been waiting a whole month yeah. for it to happen. Um, I think if it if it had been race number two in a triple header, I would have almost not minded so much. But it was painful. Yeah, and um, we. So I I said this to you after the race, but we actually still don't know how the Mercedes stacked up against the Red Bull, and that's kind of what I was looking forward to knowing because we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in Silverstone. We haven't seen it in Hungary. So this was going to kind of answer our questions, and there's all this question about, like, the low downforce setup and the wet and then the high downforce and changing the wing settings and all that stuff was going on, and it just looked like it was going to be such a good race, and then we didn't get anything out of it. What time did you even have to wake up to watch it in America? Yeah, this one was not that bad. Thank God, I, it was only I had to be up at nine a.m. But sometimes I'm up at six o'clock. Those are the the bad ones. Uh, I guess if I was on the west coast, I would have to wake up at six. But I woke up at nine. But I had just been traveling the night before, so I got home at four o'clock, and then I woke up at nine. So I didn't have a lot of sleep, and then like I just kept waiting for it to start. I can't even imagine going to bed at four a.m. You're like a decade younger than me, so you're <laughs> able to do these things. Um, Oh, that just sounds painful. But first, should we should we start with qualifying? Because that was yeah. on Saturday, and that was actually quite exciting. Um, I think the main talking point, well, was George Russell driving in a Williams uh, finished in second yeah. place. Um, for people who are maybe new to Formula One, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to work out how we best explain this. So qualifying on Saturday is people go out, set a lap time. There's sort of three. Uh, sections to qualifying we call them Q1, Q2, Q3 uh, and the bottom five get knocked out and then whatever order you finish in and who can set the fastest lap starts at the front of the grid for the race on Sunday George Russell George Russell George Russell, yes that's his name uh, he finished in uh, second place driving a Williams now driver skill comes through a lot in Formula 1 but you know, a lot of it depends on what car you're in. Um, it's a bit like, you know, if, you, if you're playing for big football teams, you know, I, I, I suppose the football teams, it's Barcelona, Manchester United, whatever else. You know, if you're playing for your local whatever team, if you're a good player, you, you will make a difference. But ultimately, you your team is limited to where it is. George Russell is in a car that should be way at the back of the grid, you know. 17, 18, 19, 20, for him to be at 
in second place is almost like it, it was unbelievable. Yeah. So we this has been this whole conversation, and we'll talk about it a little bit later about George Russell and uh, his future. But in a time like that, he really needs to shine to prove to people that all the hype about him is real. The only time he'd really seen. Uh, him get to prove himself was last year when he got to be in the Mercedes seat. So this was like, you know, that's like, you know, the best car. Last year's Mercedes was so fast compared to the rest of the field that you really could make an argument that it was just the car when he got into the, the seat. But this year he's in Williams, which they, according to Williams, they felt that they were the uh, like seventh slowest car on the grid. <clears throat> so seventh slowest car and he's able to go second fastest so that shows you that he's able able to out qualify all of the competition and essentially he out qualified the red bull too it's just max verstappen uh who is on a championship charge is able to beat him by a little bit so really it was like an incredible amount of speed that he's able to show in a car that he really should not be able to show it in so people are calling it one of the all-time great qualifying laps in history and i think it's really going to go down like that it's going to be like Singapore 2018, which they call the perfect lap, and then it's going to be like this lap as well, yeah, uh, which is just absolutely incredible lap by by George Russell. I mean, just to put it into context, his teammate, who is an okay driver, Nicholas Latifi, in the same car, qualified in twelfth place, and the like. Just to sort of explain how George Russell managed to get so far up, he did a slightly. It was described by the boss of Mercedes as a risky but clever strategy of really leaning on the tires only doing one lap as opposed to the three that everyone else was doing and just going for it on one lap um, a, a sort of high risk strategy in the way the way they use the tires but when you do that you hope that you finish you know if your teammates finishing 12th you want to be 10th 9th 8th but to go up to second is ridiculous so you know kudos to him and uh, I think he has a very very bright future ahead of him yeah. And I guess that kind of, you know, explains it. he's in the Williams. He doesn't have much to lose. He normally qualifies like, I mean, he's been getting into the top 10 pretty, pretty commonly Q3 as we call it. So, but regardless, he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot to lose. So I can understand why he'd want to do that. And definitely in this case, it paid off. So, you know, kudos to him and whatever happens to him in the future, this is something that's definitely, yeah. people are going to look at this moment. So I we sort of swung from one extreme to the other over the weekend because on Saturday we saw an amazing performance and something that was exciting and brilliant to watch. And then on Sunday we just went full the opposite direction. It yeah. was just dull, dull, dull. It was four hours of watching it rain in Belgium for a race to never start. Um, and then in the end they went out and did two laps or so behind the safety car, called it an event, and just cancelled the whole thing. Yeah. Uh. So Lewis Hamilton called it a farce. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So I, I know that last time that this happened was actually not that long ago, 2009. And it's like the famous story of will they start the race or not? And then Kimmy goes and gets his ice cream. And people are like, yeah, that they're not going to start the race. If Kimmy Reckoning is getting an ice cream, he knows it's not starting. And I think that's why this rule was put in place. It was for situations where like they've raced half the race and there's some you know, inclement weather or reason that they can't continue racing, how do they award points? And I think that's why this rule was put in place. I don't think it was put in place for a situation like how we had on Sunday, where we can't even start the race and how do we, you know, go ahead with that. So I think, you know, pretty obviously they raced the two laps under a safety car just so they can get 
you know, the quantum, the qualification and, and say, oh, this was a race and we're going to give half points out. But I don't think that's why the, the rule was written. I don't think that was the spirit of the rule. And I think everybody, including the drivers, except for maybe George Russell, felt that they were really robbed of a race. Um, Russ, George Russell was really the only one celebrating because he got to finish second, which is his career best. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's not really why the, the rule was written. But I think this weekend was a whole lot of we need to change the rules. What do you think? I think this is one of the really difficult things with Formula One. Sometimes the rules are not simple. And actually, they, they just should be. that This rule has existed for a long time, um, that you get half the number of normal points uh, if if you race less than 75% of the total distance. And like you said, 2009 was the last time it happened. But at that stage, they'd, they'd raced 31 of the 50 or so laps already. And uh, they'd stopped the race because the weather was too extreme. And they were waiting, 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 hoping they could restart and finish the 20 or so laps that they had left. And that's when they saw Kimi go get his ice cream and things because he knew the the rain wasn't stopping and they weren't going to restart. Um, The first time this actually... This only happened six times in history. The first time was in 1975, the Spanish Grand Prix. I'll do a quick quiz for you before we talk about this more. What what else was special about that Grand Prix? 1965 Spanish Grand Prix. 1975 Spanish Grand Prix. Um, is that Ayrton Senna? No, he was much later. Or was so it it's the only recorded race in history where a female driver has scored points. Oh, wow. So uh, Lena huh. Lombardi scored half a point for finishing in sixth place because oh. in 1975, you would only get points if you finish in the top six. Yeah. So she was in sixth place. And because they awarded half points, she got half a point. Who was she racing for? Oh, I can't remember a team that doesn't exist. <laughs> Let me find it one second. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting to me that they had a female driver. Maybe we can talk about that in a different podcast about women in Formula One. But yeah, I'd never heard of a, a woman making it into a, a driver's seat in Formula One before. I know yeah. like Renault had like their test driver uh, some years ago. I didn't know that somebody drove in, in one point. So that's pretty So amazing. she was racing for March at that time. Um, she has also raced for Williams. And Brabham. Wow. So Williams, you know. Brabham, yeah. what did they become now? I think they are Red Bull, maybe? Wow, okay. Uh, well, I mean, they probably changed names like two or three times yeah, and exactly. then became Red Bull. Uh, and March Engineering was a big, big racing company back in the day. But yeah, I, I think it would be quite cool for us to, at some point, maybe on the off-season, visit historic and special races um, because there's some great stories out there but back to what we're talking about in terms yeah. of um, awarding these half points so it's only happened six times in history so it's a rare occurrence and it's usually races that have started and have stopped before they could be finished here we had a race that couldn't be started because the, the conditions were too dangerous yeah and it's I don't know it, this race has been cancelled all the time um, I remember qualifying was cancelled once in Japan because of a typhoon um, and they did qualifying on the race on the same day. Races are cancelled all the time nowadays because of COVID. Um, I think the difficulty they had was they'd started on Saturday already. Um, people had shown up and there's sort of commercial agreements and television rights. So the television rights, you know, they pay a certain amount to be given 16 events the fact that we've 
done these two laps does it count as an event their lawyers would argue yes it does therefore you got what you paid for um yeah i mean that's kind of like the big conversation is where the two laps raced for all of the the money reasons you know like lewis hamilton said last year money talks and a lot of formula one is driven by money um so that's like a big question and you know the t the fans not getting refunds because technically they saw a race and the sponsors not getting refunds because technically they sponsored a race and and that whole thing but you know how you said that races have been canceled in the past i don't think a race has been canceled the morning of in the past we've had races canceled you know a week in in advance or a few, or a few weeks in advance we've had qualifying sessions red flag pretty early on things like that but i i don't think we've had a full race canceled and i think what they were trying to avoid was the 2014 japan situation where you end up with a driver you know unfortunately passing away that was the last time a driver passed away in formula one and it was a very very avoidable situation and i think you know michael massey the race director i think that's what's on his mind is you know because he could he could say we're not going to start this at all but then there's all kinds of issues with not starting it at all you know, so I think that's what he was kind of thinking is let's do this in the most safe way possible and just get it over with. Um, but yeah, I, f I fully think? agree with the decision to not race. I, yeah. you know, the, the, the drivers have all come out and said it, it, it was too dangerous. And there's so many people, you see them on Twitter and they're like, oh, back back when I, yeah. when I was a lad, drivers were real men and could race in rain, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, look, it's like, these are the 20 best drivers in the world. If they're saying it's too dangerous for us to drive, who are you sat yeah. behind a keyboard yeah, yeah. that, you know, sometimes races <laughs> on your PlayStation telling these people they should go out in the rain. So, yeah. you know, if they say it's, it's too dangerous to drive, that's fine. Like it sucks. We wanted to watch a race, but we, we just accept that decision. But this thing to hang on for hours and hours and hours and, um, just end in such a sort of anticlimax. You almost feel like they just said at the beginning, "Look, we're not going to be able to race. We're really sorry. It's it's not safe." You would have accepted it. It was this thing of, "We'll give you another weather update in ten minutes. Another update in ten minutes." And it's just, I don't know. On the other hand, I can understand them wanting to wait and hope and see if they can get an event started. Um, but it was the way everybody knew, the commentators knew, the drivers knew, everyone knew before, ages before anything even happened. And it was just, it, it was, you know, Martin Brundle, the commentator said, I, they need to put us out of our misery. And that's <laughs> yeah, what happened. I, here's, yeah. my, here's my question to you. What do you think a cancelled race would have looked like? You know, let's say come three o'clock, they just said, we are not doing, race will not start. What do you think that would have looked like? You know, what is like the downside to them having done that? I'm not sure of the technicalities, but I'm sure there's some sort of financial implications. You know, if you've paid to watch a race, if you paid Formula One to host a race, if you've paid Formula One to um, have the television rights and that event doesn't exist, I'm sure you, you are entitled to some sort of compensation or whatever. So but, just the financial loss. Yeah, but like... You know, the fact that we're talking about, you know, the last time there was a rain a race that didn't happen was 2009. And the last time before that, that a full race distance couldn't be done was 1991. Like, you'd think they'd just suck it up, take the one event, and they'd have insurance for these kind of things. Yeah. 
Yeah, you would think. It's not something that happens every year that they're like, oh, no. we have to work a mm-hmm. way around this, blah, blah. It's, yeah. it's such a, it's literally once a decade. It's also like something that is very much in the possibility of happening. You know, like it's not inconceivable to think we could have a race on a day that it's raining so hard or so cold or so hot or something like that where we just cannot race um, or like a sandstorm if they're in the Middle East. It's not inconceivable to think that. And I think this has been a real eye opener for them. Like Zach Brown, the team principal or the CEO of McLaren was saying that if this is the rule, okay, I'm, I'm glad you followed your rules, but we need to rethink what the rules are. If this is what the rules are. Yeah, and definitely. I think that, you know, Formula One has come out and said that they are going to work with the fans for some kind of reimbursement. They haven't said what it is, you know, whether it's money back or a future free ticket or I don't know. But they said they're going to do something. And I think that the backlash was pretty universal against them. I don't think anyone took a, a stand that was with Formula One and Liberty Media and saying that this was the right move. Um, but kind of on this note, what do you think should have happened with the points? Um, should you think it should have been zero points or was half points appropriate? So it's tricky because you feel like a race didn't really happen. So should points, like a lot of the drivers came out and said it, you know, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel. Now, these are guys who are world champions, multiple world champions between the two of them, knowledgeable, fair. And I don't yeah. think at this moment in time they're playing any political games when they no. say that. Mm-hmm. And I, can, I respect and understand why they say. For me, it's like, it's happened now. And I think if George Russell hadn't got that second place because he has had so much bad luck over his career that Mm -hmm. you almost sort of go you've got into this in a really jammy way but fine you know you've had so much bad luck I'm happy for you like genuinely I'm happy for him that you got that second place because it's a nice story for Williams because they've been trying so hard for years like literally the last two or three years they've scored zero points um but beyond that the wider implications um like, I don't know, like, let's say you're Ferrari and McLaren and you finish the season one point ahead of the other team. Do you feel cheated out of that because you didn't race them for it? Yeah, I think really we're going to look at the end of the season and we're and this is going to be a close season, but I think we're going to look at the end of the season and say that, um, and, and that's how we're going to determine whether or not points should have been awarded um, because it's going to be close between McLaren and Ferrari. It's been neck and neck all season. It's going to be very close with Lewis and Max. You know, I, I do think potentially Max could have won this race. I only say potentially because you never know in a wet race. You cannot, it's not straightforward. Max has made mistakes in the wet. If you think back to Turkey last year, he had that big spin. It took him out of the podium places. And, you know, Lewis was the one who kind of came back from 14th on the grid to win it. So you never know in a wet race what will happen. And even this year, I, I think it was uh, Imola maybe, or maybe, yeah, I think it was Imola where uh, Max almost spun coming out of the pit. So it's very, and then Lewis made a mistake in that race in the wet as well. So you never know. And I think that we were kind of robbed of that. And yeah, it's, it's just tough. It's tough to give points on hypotheticals really. But yeah, I mean, last podcast i was saying george russell can't be mr saturday because points aren't awarded on saturday but i guess he proved me wrong points were awarded this saturday so good for him (laughs) exactly yeah um but uh we we said after after all the race was said and done um actually we did have some exciting news this week 
sad news, I think, as well, that Kimi Raikkonen is going to be retiring. Um, as a new fan to the sport, what 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 is Kimi to you? Kimi Raikkonen is like he's very interesting to me. He clearly is somebody who was very um, fast, you know, and he came in and he was the hot shot. And uh, I'm I'm only watching his tail end, you know. I basically saw him uh, honestly one season at Ferrari and then his time at Alfa Romeo. So I never really saw him at his peak. So I don't like when everyone talks about, you know, peak Kimmy, I've never really seen that. To me, he's been this guy who is racing for the fun of it and he's enjoying himself and he's he's shown bursts of speed in a very slow car and um him retiring is it's certainly sad. Uh it feels like an end of an era almost because two decades. He's been racing for two decades and he's you know the entire modern era really Formula One he's been there. So for him to leave, it's it's just like almost like a chapter is closing. You know, very it's very somber for me. But I think he's yeah. probably happy about it. Yeah, um, I think the fans are sad about it because he's become such a cult hero within Formula One. There's a lot of you know racing drivers talking about either bigging themselves up or having those classic racing driver excuses and things like that. And um, Kimi was just no nonsense. You know, they called him the Iceman because they, they, they didn't. You know, he he didn't he didn't want to be in any of the interviews. And he was very open about how he didn't want to be there. Um, you know, people say, "What's the best thing about Formula One?" He goes, "Driving the cars." What's the worst thing? This moment right now. Um, <laughs> these sort of quotes, and there's loads of funny Kimmy quotes. You know, um, you know, someone asked him, you know racing helmets are have a special meaning for many drivers the designs and whatever else how important is it to you and he goes oh, it protects my head um and i think <laughs> today in zandvoort they were doing the drivers press conferences and they asked the drivers what do you think about kimmy retiring and daniel ricardo said you know i've been here for 10 11 years and i still don't know where i stand with kimmy because he doesn't talk um so that <laughs> that's the kind of person kimmy is and and the reputation that he has um but i thought i would just share the story of kimmy um because you know he's only going to retire once i guess um well you never know but yeah exactly <laughs> looking at fernando we, alonso but i know yeah. and michael schumacher we've had a few yeah. greats that come back to be fair kimmy has left the sport once but anyway he started uh in 1999 racing in formula ford and formula renault uh coming from finland um he only had 23 races to his name, but he was picked for a test with the Sauber team by the boss, Peter Sauber. Um, and they were so worried about other teams finding this great talent and stealing him. They referred to him as the Eskimo, a bit like they do, you know, when they're recording films, like the Avengers was recorded under the code name Mary Lou. Um, <laughs> so that kind of thing. So That's how he became Iceman later too. Yeah, exactly. Eskimo. That's funny. So um, when he did this test with Sauber, he was half a second a lap faster than their incumbent driver, and he was offered a contract uh, to race for the team for 2001. But he was young, inexperienced, he sort of skipped Formula 2, skipped Formula 3, really. Um, and that ruffled a few feathers with people, like Max Mosley, who was head of the FIA at the time. And they didn't want him to race, they were like, this guy's too young. So in the end, Peter Sauber petitioned for him to be granted a super license uh, and as they say, the rest is history. So Kimi was with Sauber for just one year. They, you know, they did all the hard work to discover him. But 
Within a year, he was moved to McLaren, where he was the big uh, rival to Michael Schumacher and uh, Fernando Alonso. Uh, he finished second in the championship 2003 and 2005 before making a move to rivals Ferrari uh, to replace the retiring Schumacher in 2007. And in, in his first year with Ferrari, he uh, he won the world championship by one point. That was such a close championship yeah. and really tells you, because you had to maximize every opportunity to win. Lewis Hamilton, unfortunately, you know, he missed out. Uh, Fernando Alonso missed out. Winning that championship, is, it was not an easy feat. He really yeah. had to use every opportunity. Yeah, and today when they were asking the drivers about it, um, Lewis Hamilton, I can't remember his exact words, but he said, you know, I've lost a world championship to Kimi. He didn't he didn't say Kimi won that year, whatever. He, I lost that championship to him. And he just acknowledged how great Kimi's speed was. And he said, um, yeah. he, he said it loads of times, Lewis, that when he was young and he used to re- play the Formula One game on the PlayStation, he always used to select Kimi as the character mm-hmm. to play as. I remember him once saying that while he was sat next to Kimmy and Kimmy yeah. just sort of shrugged and went, cool, whatever. Um, but yeah, he did actually spend a few years away from the sport, 2010, 2011. Uh, Ferrari uh, managed to sign Fernando Alonso and basically had three drivers for two cars. So they paid Kimmy to go away. Uh, and he went off to the World Rally Championship and got stuck in the snow a few times uh, before returning to Formula One with the Lotus F1 team, which is now Alpine. Um, he had a few wins with them, but you know, he managed to go back to Ferrari from 2014 to 2018 uh, and his last win coming in the USA in 2018 before he moved back to the team where it all started uh, at Sauber. And lots of people said to him, you know, why why did you go to Sauber? Is you looking for a specific challenge or you, you could have gone to McLaren, you could have gone to Renault? What was it about Sauber? And he said, the factory's half an hour away from my house. It means I can spend more time <laughs> with my kids. Um, yeah. You know, it's in his like going away Instagram post, it really like sums up how of a night like neat situation. I don't maybe not situation, but how how nice this worked out for him. He said, I came into Formula One to win a championship and win races. And he's and I've done that. And like, you know, he came in, he was the fast guy. You know, he won races with multiple teams. He won a championship. He did what he loved. And, um, now he's leaving and what more can you ask for than that he's not like one of these drivers that's you know been at the wrong team at the wrong time and never really gotten their moment to shine no he's shined he's not like one of these people who's always been outshined by his partner so he never gets to win the championship nope he won the championship he's been doing what he loves and you know now he gets to kind of walk off on his own terms you don't normally get that in formula one i think you said in our first episode you don't get to retire from formula one uh, you're normally dropped from a team. So the fact that he's leaving on his own at a place where he feels happy and comfortable to leave, that's huge. That is like, you know, that's the way you want to leave Formula One. So, you know, kudos to Kimi Raikkonen. I think he, he did Formula One right, in my opinion. He did it right. Yeah. Um, but this now has massive implications for the driver market. I think this was the first domino um, that needed to fall for for everything else to happen. Basically, the big story that's been going on for the last few weeks is Mercedes, you know, expected to still be fighting for the World Championship next year. One of the two best cars on the grid. They've got Lewis Hamilton. They've signed him for another two years. 
what's going to happen to Valtteri Bottas, his teammate, who has essentially been underperforming. He's a good racing driver, but he's not a great. And is that good enough? You know, Mercedes have won, broken so many records. They've won seven world championships, and Bottas has been an important part of that. Is that enough to keep him on, or is it worth dropping him and bringing up their young driver, George Russell, from Williams? So my opinion is that Bottas was probably good enough to keep on, but the big rumor coming in to this weekend was that uh, Kimi Raikkonen would first announce his retirement, and then a couple days later, Bottas would announce that he is taking his seat uh, in Alfa Romeo, and then George Russell would be announced as the new driver at Mercedes. That was like the big uh, domino effect that was supposed to happen either this weekend or next weekend at Monza. So the fact that we've seen the first domino fall means that the other two dominoes are likely to fall. I think next year we have new regulations coming in. It's a good opportunity for George Russell to really show and prove his worth. I think Bottas has gotten everything he ever could out of Mercedes. He's been at the top team. He's had an opportunity to win races, multiple races. He's had an opportunity to be on the podium multiple times. These are things drivers dream about, like... People dream about being on the podium for their entire career, and he's had that opportunity multiple times. So I think whatever he was going to get out of Mercedes, he got out of Mercedes. He was never going to win a championship while Lewis Hamilton was still his partner. That was not going to happen, you know. So with the new regulations coming up, I think it's probably a good place for him to move on from Mercedes and try something new. I, I know when we were talking about this last year, you said that I think Bottas will retire and go to rallying. I think that's probably good for him. Him going to Formula One is probably like a soft landing for him out of Formula One instead of just being dropped, you know, the way Red Bull dropped Alex Albon. They're pushing him to, you know, like a midfield team. He'll do maybe a year or two years in there and then he'll properly retire, you know, the way Kimi If you're Bottas, right? Because basically the, the rumors are Bottas is either going to go to Williams and swap with George Russell. So that's one of the teams at the back. Or he's going to go to... Alfa Romeo, a team that's only scored two points this entire season and is just about keeping above the last team. If you've been someone who's been in a top team at the front of the grid, you know, Kimi did it. Kimi was at Ferrari and he went off to Sauber, but he was very Kimi about it. He was like, yeah, it's fine. I just want to race. I like racing and I want to um, live near my kids. And Fernando Alonso has come back to Formula 1 very zen. And is like, yeah, I'm just in the midfield team. I'm not at the front. I want to be at the front, but this is it. For someone who, if Mercedes drop him, is it enough to go to a back team and just be content with the fact that you're there? Or, you know, if you're not going to get to win, do you leave do you go somewhere else do you go to IndyCar and try and become a champion there do you go to rallying or the world endurance championship you know what I, I don't know I don't know what I would do and I, I'm trying to work out what what's right for Bottas what do you think so yeah that's a these are all really really good questions and I'm sure Valtteri has been thinking about them for a while but you know Williams of the two teams is the team that is getting better you know, clearly they're crawling back from the pits. They're getting better every year. Um, but he's already been at Williams. So for him to go back to Williams is a little bit like, you know, I've already done this. I've already achieved what I can achieve with Williams. He was with Williams when they were actually a good team. 
So why would he go back to Williams when they are trying to get back to that? I think him, him going to Alfa Romeo, I really think it's just, like I said, a soft landing for him in Formula 1. And he's not going to accomplish anything new in Formula 1. He's already been at the top team. I think, like you said, after this, it's going to be IndyCar or rallying or like DTM or one of these other side uh, motorsport uh, races where he can actually have a, a chance to shine again. Like how Roman Grosjean went from Haas, where he was finishing last every race, and now he's in IndyCar and he's fighting for pole. Well, it's interesting you talk about Grosjean because he, I was just thinking about when he left the Lotus team, which is now Renault, you know, and he was on the podium with that team. He went to Haas because Haas was being seen as like a baby Ferrari team. And he said, yeah, he was very open about it. He goes, you know, maybe being here will eventually lead me to the Ferrari. You know, I can impress them with my abilities, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that didn't happen. But it was something that he thought about in the back of his head. If Bottas goes to Williams, they're not going to move him from Williams back to the Mercedes. If he goes to Alfa Romeo, you know, I'm sure there'll be lots of people that think it's a delusion, but is there something in his head that goes, that's a baby Ferrari team. If I impress there, maybe one day I'll end up in a Ferrari. But again, he he could just get a Ferrari seat. Well, there's no Ferrari seat available now. Well, there was there was a Ferrari seat available previously, and I think he was in talks for a little bit. No, he bit was he was in talks with Renault. He almost had the Renault uh, seat organized, and right. then they went with Fernando. Yeah, I mean, I know there's no Ferrari seat available, but I guess my question is, if I'm Valtteri Bottas, I've already been at a top team. If he goes back to Ferrari, what is he hoping to achieve that he didn't get in Mercedes? Is he trying to outlast Lewis Hamilton? Mm. Is he going to wait for Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen to retire? Yeah. Because with them two in the sport, nobody can come close to winning a championship, you know? But this know. is a weird thing about it because he, he's, he's proved he's someone that's good enough to win races. And maybe, you know, everybody else in the rest of the world is always saying, he's not as good as Lewis, he's not as good as Max. And if you're not good enough to be number one, is that a good enough reason to walk away from the sport that you are clearly very good at? You know, he's been on the podium so many times. He's won races. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. But just because you're not number one, is that a good enough reason to walk away from the sport? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. Um, I think he's a very fast driver. I, I don't think that he is past his prime yet. I think he's, I you know, he definitely will shine in Alfa Romeo um, but right now it's just a question of what is his future like in motorsport in general. And even if he's very good at it, there's only so much you can achieve in that sport being as good as you are. And I think he's achieved it. You know, I don't think he's going to win a championship people. Now, if he wants to try a different route, like you said, through Ferrari, you know, that's going to take some time that he's basically saying, I'm going to be at Alfa Romeo for a couple of years then maybe I'll take Carlos Sainz's seat or Charles Leclerc's seat and then I can be in Ferrari and then I can compete. That's like four or five years worth of you know work. He's going to have to be in the sport for another four or five years. And the question is, does he want to keep trying for another four or five years when he's had that time already to try and, and win championship? Um, the way Formula One is, you can still be good at your job and lose a seat. And like Nico Hulkenberg... Daniel Kvyat, Alex Albon, these are all drivers who are good at what they did 
but for circumstances reason they could not keep their seat and I think Valtteri Bottas is just in that situation now so um, just before we wrap up we were treated to the Schumacher documentary trailer on Netflix have you had a chance to watch this yes yes I have multiple times what's your thoughts I'm excited. I'm very excited. I think this is a good time to be a Formula One fan uh, in America, especially because it looks like they're starting to really uh, market Formula One to Americans. And mm -hmm. I think this is part of that push. And uh, so Michael Schumacher to me is this like shadowy figure who has reigned supreme as the ultimate king of Formula One for so long. And that, you know, uh, crown is now being challenged by Lewis Hamilton. So we're going to start at the beginning. And, you know, I'm, I'm just very excited about it. It's going to make me love the sport even more the way the Senna documentary kind of made me fall in love yeah. with the sport. So very excited for it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I, what I find interesting is that his family is part of it. Like in the trailer, yeah. you see his son and his daughter and... Michael himself and his family historically have been very, very, very private. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see what, in some ways, for people that are, you know, even if you're not a fan of Formula One, you know Michael Schumacher, the name. Yeah. Uh, so the public already know a lot about Michael, um, but it'll be interesting to see what else this documentary adds what it means to new fans uh, and I'm sure in a future podcast that the documentary is out on Netflix on the 15th of September um, I think it's just a single episode like a film I think it's a mm -hmm. 112 minute film um, so I'm sure you and I will watch it and give our reaction on the podcast and we can we can dedicate a section to that in the future um, but it'd be good to hear from because I didn't watch Formula One really when Schumacher was there so no. I think in future podcasts, I think we should put it out on our social medias and get get some reaction from Schumacher fans and say, you know, did this film do justice? Did it tell you something you didn't know before? Or, you know, see see how, how true Schumacher fans find it. Um, but I think that that'll be fun for us to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So we're now into race two of our triple header. Uh, in the Netherlands, Max Verstappen's home country. Uh, for free practice starts uh, tomorrow, uh, September 3rd, and then we'll have the race on Sunday, the 5th. And we're going to finally get to see, I think, has Mercedes caught up to Red Bull? Is Red Bull still ahead? Uh, the Mercedes, you know, their engineers have come out and said that we feel very confident about this weekend. It's also Max Verstappen's home race. He's going to have that that they edge. feel confident because I feel very nervous. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> but in a I good think, way uh, in a way that this is why we watch sport because you get nervous you get excited yeah we'll put this out on our social media and hope that we can hear from other fans as well and uh, we'll release another podcast next week with our reactions to the race so uh thank you from me my name's arafat and this is muhammad and remember to follow us at slow pit stop on instagram and twitter good night good night